I think the big thing is listening to the customers. We're, we're always concerned of why the roads are so crowded. Why did you choose to get in your car today? What is Metronaut offering? We're working on everything we can from price point to schedules to marketing messaging more than we've ever done in the past. This is Transit Unplugged. I'm Paul Comfort. Good to be with you on another edition of the world's leading transit executive podcast, Transit Unplugged In-Depth this week with Jim Derwinski, who is CEO and General Manager of Metra Commuter Trains out of Chicago. Jim, thanks so much for being with us today on the program. You're welcome. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah. So you head up, is, is your commuter train service the biggest in the country or it's definitely one of the biggest? Well, you know, we have to always look at things in, in a weird uh, lens these days, call it pre-COVID and post-COVID. So pre-COVID, right. pre-COVID um, we were the third largest by ridership, but we still remain the largest by track miles. That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. And Chicago kind of is, you know, geographically, geographically, obviously the center of the country, but for rail, whether it's commuter rail or uh, freight rail, it is kind of the center of the whole operation, right? It absolutely is. The, yeah, six of the seven class ones meet here. There's uh, about half a dozen short line railroads. Of course, Amtrak comes through here as well. So definitely the center. Yeah. And how long have you been there? So I've been at Metro since uh, 1996. Wow. Quite a while. Tell us some about the Metro commuter train service and how it fits into what's happening in the Chicago region. Absolutely. Um, it's six counties. Um, it's bigger than Delaware and Rhode Island put together. Holy moly. Yeah. When you actually look at the square footage of our, our service area, um, it's 11 lines. It's kind of complicated. Uh, we own and operate two of the lines, uh, Metro Electric and Rock Island. We own and operate, but do not dispatch two of our lines. Those are the two lines on the Milwaukee North Line and the Milwaukee West Line. Those are dispatched by the Canadian Pacific Freight Railroad. Three of the lines are owned, operated, and dispatched by um, Union Pacific under a contract to provide metro service. One of the lines has got the similar arrangement where it's under a contract with BNSF where they own, operate, and dispatch. And then there's the hybrid lines, Southwest Service, the North Central Service, and Heritage Corridor, where it's it's metro equipment, metro operators, but dispatched by the by the freights and owned by the freight. So complicated, nonetheless. Eleven lines coming into the center of the city. Yeah, I was uh, I was in Chicago a while ago. I forget what it was for a conference or something, and uh, I remember finding out all about before I went there, finding out all about the World's Fair in 1893 and how that was kind of when things really kicked off for rail. You guys have have a strong history in rail, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, our board definitely uh, um, s- somewhat celebrates our history in a lot of different ways. Uh, the legacy components that are uh, Metro these days, the Illinois Central and Chicago and Northwestern, uh, they're, they're some of the first commuters in the country. Yeah, amazing. You and I have that in common because when I was in Baltimore, B- B&O Railroad, that was also one of the first uh, commuter wouldn't be called a commuter train at the time, but uh, but passenger rail back in the day. Yeah. So um, now how does that fit, Jim, uh, in with PACE and in with CTA? Uh, kind of explain how all that works together and then maybe even the RTA. Yeah. So the RTA is the funding source above CTA, Metro and PACE. So in the region, under the uh, legislation, uh, RTA was formed. And for the first time back in the 70s, tax dollars were able to be 
given to the operators to subsidize the operations as things were changing. So Metro's the commuter rail operator. It's the commuter rail division of the RTA. Pace is the suburban bus division of the RTA. And then CTA is actually the transit operator in the city. They have like seven stations outside the city, but they're literally all the legacy components of the uh, old transit system, both bus and of course, heavy rail. So do you, do you have your own board or do you just report up to RTA or how does that work? There's actually four boards. The RTA okay. has a board, CTA has a board, Metro has a board, PACE has a board. And how are you financed uh, for the commuter rail? So by statute, uh, the region has to do 50% fare recovery. It's kind of you know hybrid right now with, re- with regard to the COVID relief money that's available. But the region has to get 50% of its funding from the fare box. The other 50% comes from taxes. And prior to COVID, uh, were you fine with hitting that number? Yeah, 50%? we hit that. Yeah, we absolutely hit that number every year. It's the region hits fifty. Metro was like fifty-two point five. Okay, I got you. That's good. Yeah, we had similar legislation in Maryland for a while until it was uh, repealed. Uh, and so, um, coming into COVID, obviously, all commuter rail systems across the country took took you know our, really our ridership was decimated. Uh, where are you at now? Would you say in coming back? You know, here at the end of twenty twenty two. So we're right around now 51% on the average for the week. Uh, we have certain lines that are spiking uh, certain days. Commuter across the country um, is seeing Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursdays as the new popular days. Um, you can also follow that trend on the roadways uh, in these dense urban areas. And I uh, also am the chair of the Commuter Rail Coalition and have these conversations with our partners all over the country all the time. And we're seeing similar patterns pretty much everywhere. That's interesting. Yeah. I've heard I've heard uh, similarly. Just last week, I was uh, speaking with um, uh, the CEO of a California system who was telling me the same thing. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It's the new it's the new days. I guess people are what a four day kind of weekend, but you work hybrid Monday and Friday, and then you come to the office in the middle. Is that kind of what's happening? You think? I think it's even more complicated than that. I think okay. people are put in the office two days or three days a week, and some people are saying, "Well, you know, now that everybody's in on Monday, I'll come in on Mondays." What we see is typically our ridership is uh, depressed about 15% on Monday compared to the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then 30% on Friday compared to the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Okay. So there's still our people come and the roads are still congested. So I, it's a hybrid. I think yeah. between most people are coming in at least a Tuesday, a Wednesday or Thursday, and then somehow tagging on that other end. I, but we do see it a lot. Thursday is now looking like the new Friday in the city. Okay. And are you... Um- I'm hearing from some other commuter rail systems that they're also seeing a pickup and ridership at night coming into the city where it's not so much a commuter rail. It's almost like a regional service into the city for, you know, ball games and things like that or, or nightlife. And then during the middle of the day, there's a little bit uptick in service. Are you seeing similarly in Chicago? Absolutely. It's one of the bigger surprises. And then the weekend ridership, along with what you just described, the discretionary rider um, is is picking up a lot more now than it was pre-COVID. Some of our lines on the weekends, we're running over 100% pre-COVID numbers just because they're starting to utilize the system in a different way. And have you adjusted uh, headways uh, and increased service during those times, you know, traditionally non-peak times? So on a couple of our lines, we've had opportunity to put out a more robust schedule that gives more frequent service, uh, spreading out the rush hours, flattening the peaks, as we call it. And um, on those lines, we've seen some very good ridership gains, a um, little bit higher and, and quicker than, than the other lines. 
And for a lot of various reasons, either contract or employees, um, on some of the lines, we're still running not full service, even pre-COVID. So we haven't had the ability to, to expand that service. But where we have, we've actually seen it uh, be very beneficial. That's great. Um, so you mentioned earlier that, you know, you've got access to some additional funds, the, the relief funds that have helped subsidize uh, the loss of fare box recovery. Where do we stand on that now, Jim? Would you say not only in Chicago, but industry-wide for commuter trains? Are we coming to the end of uh, kind of using up all those funds or is that going to help us through the rest of the fiscal year? Or what are you thinking? Yeah, I think it's uh, unique for every region. For Chicago, we're going to be into 25. Um, Some parts of the country, they're not going to make it to 25 on the current funding. Um, so yeah, absolutely. This year we're good, but um, it all depends who you're talking. If you're talking to LA or if you're talking to New York, if you're talking to Boston, it's it's a little bit different in the way um, the pots came to us. Yeah, yeah, understood. Um, and uh, what are like for commuter rail there at Metro? What are your plans for the future? Are you expanding? Are you kind of holding tight? What do you, what are you looking to do? I think a little bit of everything. Um, and what I mean by that is really trying to understand the new ridership patterns. So we've, we've experimented with some things. We've experimented with some price points. We've experimented with these, these flattening of the peak periods. We're, we're doing onboard surveys now like we've never done. And what we're really trying to understand is, is that discretionary market, a much larger part of the market than the traditional just going to work market. So as we move into the future, we want to continue to try to pilot things. We did something uh, this last summer. We did a bike train on a, on a line that has no service on Saturdays. We literally ran these uh, six bike trains, special cars that were built to hold more bikes than just a traditional car and try to get people to really get encouraged into going out, using the rail system to get to where they could ride their bike, ride their bike around, whether they make it back downtown or not, then the train was able to bring them back. Um, and it was it was an interesting, um, you know, I, I would say experiment. It, it wasn't like a, a raving success to, to fix our financial woes. But it's things like that that I think we're very much interested in trying to, you know, experiment with. Yeah, that makes sense. I have a friend that always says, um, you know, if they're not buying it, let's not sell it. And, uh, you know, on on the flip side, if we, you know, as we experiment, like you're talking about, you can identify what are what are ways people want to use commuter trains. Are you seeing any other trends or any other uh, areas where you want to try new things? Well, I think one of the things that we did is we looked at price point and it specifically crashed right into these higher gas prices we saw late in the summer. And so we did some we did some experiments with the price point to try to drive uh, the monthly ticket down to what the riders are actually using the system for. Um, we haven't seen it's hard to pull out how many how much of this is brand new riders versus how much of this is people shifting their fare product. Because when you're talking about people one, two, three, four days a week, it's very hard to pinpoint when you see these surges. But um, I think continually trying to take a look at what are the people using it for? And an example is, I've got to go into the office for this meeting, but I really don't want to stay till five o'clock. So a one thirty train might all of a sudden be something that we're starting to look at. And does that make sense to have that expense, to have that, that option for people? And does that help drive the morning ridership because there's more options in the evening? You guys have something that's commonly known as guaranteed ride home for commuters? No, um, that's not a term I'm familiar with, um, but typically, uh, you know, by schedule, our last trains are out of here either between midnight and one in the morning. 
Yeah. So what I'm talking about is what you mentioned a minute ago. So there may be a time when somebody says, oh, I need to get home early today. Some systems, you know, will build in if you buy a, um, you know, monthly pass, you get two kind of free Uber rides to the bus station or something like that. Do you have any kind of interaction with the other systems, you know, CTA or Pace or any of those guys to help kind of create that opportunity or? You know, so that's interesting you bring that up. We don't have anything like you just described it, but the regional connect pass just came out. And what that is, it's a new pass product that CTA and Pace have partnered with. It's $30. It pairs with a Metro monthly. In the past, it was either $40 for one of the systems, $30 for the other system. It only paired with our monthly and it only paired during rush hour. Well, CTA and Pace came out with this regional connect pass that now pairs with the monthly no matter what time of the day. And then us moving the price point around, and we think he's got this opportunity now for 30 extra bucks that you basically have access to the entire transit network here in Chicago. So we're kind of monitoring that to see how that's taken off. In the past, pre-COVID, was there a lot of um, uh, transfers going on? In other words, people ride Metra into the city and then get off at a hub and then get on to CTA service or pay service? Not a ton. And I think part of the impediment that we've always uh, looked at and heard from our customers is nobody wanted to pay for two rides. Okay. So eventually we'd love to get to a seamless fare system here in Chicago, you know, working with the RTA and then the other service boards. But this is like the first step that we're kind of piloting, I guess you'd say, to see what that looks like with regard, you know, you can buy those two fare products, uh, Metro Monthly and then this $30 pass. And now we can maybe start understanding how often people are doing it. But it was it was really an impediment was nobody wanted to pay twice or three times for a seat. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so um, going forward, are you um, are you seeing either in, in Chicago or in your role as overseeing kind of the association for commuter trains? What other kind of trends are you seeing when it comes to commuter rail? Well, I think the bigger thing is um, in, in it's this widening of the peak um, earlier and later um, that midday service where you start seeing more people frequently ride the trains just because of the flexibility. And that's what I'm hearing, not only here in the U S but I'm hearing that in Europe as well. Um, they have, a, but the big thing that we don't control is, you know, the, the, the people at the bosses, the, the businesses that say, Hey, get in the office X number of days a week. Right. But we're slowly watching this kind of evolve. I think we're all you know, in the midst of watching this continue to evolve. Yeah, it is interesting. Um, speaking of people coming back to the office for for your agency at Metra, what what's your stand now for you know non people that aren't in the train, people that are like uh, staff? Yeah, so I mean, obviously the field people, people in the train, the people doing the maintenance of the tracks, they've never they've never gone home. They've been here five days a week through the entire COVID, um, working as safe as they can to make sure that the system never shut down. Metro itself, we're a little bit hybrid right now. Uh, we're, we're three days minimum in the office. And then we, we through management, encourage, uh, you know, more in-person meetings than not, because we just feel the benefit of um, all, the, all the benefits you get from a, an in-person meeting. There's just so much more comprehension and collaboration. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Where are you at on, uh, on the vehicles themselves? Some uh, rail agencies in California uh, have been telling me that they're trying to move toward you know, electric style um, trains. Uh, are you moving in that direction at all? Yeah, that's a great question. And the answer is yes. Um, we actually have an RFP that we put out on the street, on our board, awarded a contract. We're partnering with Progress Rail Services to convert 
three of our old F40 diesel locomotives to 100% battery. Oh, so I'm wow. excited. Yeah, I'm excited to see that. We'll be the first passenger uh, locomotive in the country that's that's running on battery. There's some experiments out there in freight, but we think with the start-stop, start-stop, the shorter distances, that this is a viable long-term option for commuter. We have an RFP also on the street right now for what we call zero emission train sets. And the idea there is to pilot some zero emission train set, be it battery, it could be hydrogen, not sure what the industry is going to propose. But the idea is to start building these interconnected, flexible trains that kind of don't just do the in and out, in and out. Um, the idea, is, is, once again, is to kind of experiment with that. Um, and maybe down the road, um, look at that as a much longer term purchase for certain elements of Metra. Yeah, that's good. How many, um, do you, I don't know, I don't know if you know this off the top of your head, but here in the U.S., do you know how many commuter rail systems that are that are active here? 31. 31. Okay, that's what I thought, around 30, yeah. Um, and uh, do you see um, do you see the uh, higher level of investment from the federal government continuing going forward? I know that, you know, we had we had our um our most recent uh the bipartisan infrastructure act included inside of it, our reauthorization act. Uh, did that include increased funds for commuter rail like it did for, you know, 5307 uh, grantees, which are traditional, you know, large urban public transit agencies? Yeah, I think uh, for certainly for Metro, the increased funding allocations have really, really helped us both on our formulaic side and, of course, the discretionary pots that are now available out there um, and, and in the world that I live in here where we're, we work with Amtrak, we work with freights, and then we clearly obviously um, have the ability to, to be in a lot of those pots, um, coming up with the local match is always the challenge, but, uh, yeah. to, uh, to, and to, to answer your question, do I see it continuing? I think, you know, as long as we continue to understand here in the U S that we need to continue to invest in our infrastructure, be it rail, be it roads, be it, be it airports, um, we're doing the right thing. And I think the government's going to stand behind that. What are your thoughts with regard to higher speed rail? Uh, when I was in Baltimore, we were studying a high-speed rail line between Baltimore and Washington. They're still studying. I've been out of there five years. Uh, and then you've got you know new uh, private companies uh, like Brightline down in Florida and perhaps out in Vegas uh, moving forward. What are your thoughts? And of course, the California high-speed rail. Yeah, I think they're great ideas. I mean, I was just in Europe and and they're they're way ahead of us. They're they're fifty years possibly ahead of yeah. us. And I think it's the right place to go. It's just a matter of getting them built. It's kind of, you have to build it and they may come, they will come, but we just haven't seen any of them really take off to the level yet. It's certainly not commuter. I mean, it's great to make a commuter train go faster than it's, you know, right now regulated 79 miles an hour. But if you could get these cities connected through some yes. much higher speed trains, it'd be really it, it would change the way people look at that kind of transportation right now without it existing and without it getting finished. It's kind of, um, it's just a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yep. Now, how about you, Jim? You said you've been there for quite a few years. Tell us a little about your career journey. Yeah. I got out of the military and um, served in the U S Navy for six years. And when I got out, I actually ended up just joining the railroads. I started at the Chicago Northwestern here in Chicago, working in freight. Eventually, we were bought by Union Pacific. And uh, after doing that for three years, I came over to Metro just as a, an electrician, diesel locomotive electrician. 
And throughout uh, the, all these years, I've moved from electrician to foreman to general foreman, superintendent, division director, eventually assistant department head, and then running the mechanical department here for four years before I was asked by the board or approved by the board to um, run the agency. And so I've been doing that since the beginning of 2018. That's wonderful. So, so you, you've kind of marked out a good career path for those who start out in maintenance uh, and mechanical work moving their way up. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I meet with people all the time and I think that's one of the beauties of Metro is like your career path is not carved in stone. It's a matter of where you want to go with it and what you want to take a risk at. There's opportunities here. Have you, uh, for those who you know are interested in a career path there uh, or have or have already done it in a career path, one of the things that affected public transportation in general out of the COVID pandemic was the great resignation. Uh, and it, it impacted public transit agencies. How did it impact you there at Metro and where are you at now and, you know, recruitment and retention? So I would say our, our position here is the great re- resignation or oh. it's, they're, they're calling it now a quiet resignation. Yeah, that's right. People, yeah. people are retiring or they're just moving on to a different career path. It didn't like hit us with a hammer. Um, it was slow. There's some places that it absolutely happened. Some people making different choices in their life, be it work from home or be it work out of this state, or I want to be warmer, maybe, you know, some other, other choices. And part of that is because we just have a little bit different pay Delta than most transit and and the rail industry were a little bit higher. Um, but for a year, a little over a year now, we've been dragging along a negative number. We've been struggling now where retention wasn't the, isn't the big issue, but recruitment has become a totally different dynamic. Certain jobs, we used to have 3,000 applicants, same position, same ap- application process. We're now sometimes looking at 300. Wow. And does that affect the mechanical, the skilled mechanical work? I know that's so important in the rail industry. You know, it's mechanical work, but it's also train service. Um, I don't okay. think our train service people get enough credit um, when they get in here and they think, okay, I want to be a conductor or an engineer, you still got to take a look at the legacy contracts. You got to take a look at the work hours and the, and the, how many, how many hours you work a week. And for this new and up and coming workforce, it, it's uh, sometimes a little bit of a shell shock. And that, that's where we're working continually to make sure one of the things we're doing is completely spelling out what the expectations of the job are through the employment process. That's great. Last question I want to ask you was about the interaction between freight rail and commuter rail, especially in Chicago. I hear this all over the country. I know we had issues too. With, you know, people say, well, why can't you just add an extra line? You know, and you say, well, actually, we're leasing the line from a, a lot of times from a freight railroad. And there's a big process you have to go through in order to, uh, to add an extra line of service. How does that work there in Chicago in that region? Well, it's certainly a complicated conversation we have to always have. First off, identifying, like I pointed out in the beginning, who is the owner right now? Where do those boundaries end? Who's dispatching it right now? And then what other infrastructure improvements would need be needed to add just any additional service at all? So like I said, currently we're running on 11 lines. The lines that Metra operates and controls and dispatches, they're the easiest lines to do any type of enhancements on. Sure. Our Metro Electric line is just so uniquely situated. It doesn't cross a single freight track. Our main line doesn't even have a grade crossing on it for, for roads. Wow. So this is the way you would build, uh, if you could build from scratch, um, commuter rail. But our other lines obviously are, are, are not that easy. Um, 
They're either uh, coordinated and dispatched with freight railroads who have their own priorities. Um, in some cases, you're landlocked. You know, over the past half a century, uh, communities have sprawled and built up, and all of a sudden, you've got buildings on one side, buildings on the other side, and the idea of just adding another track becomes almost uh, an impossible dream. So it's the infrastructure, the crossovers, the uh, the ability to have siding so that you can do passing. Um, all of that comes into play, but it 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 involves a constant conversation and having freight partners that are also willing to say, I'm here to support your operation because your operation is as important to me um, in the region. Yeah, that's great. Well, Jim, you've you've got such a great history there in the Chicago area when it comes to rail uh, and passenger rail. And uh, as we look into 2023, do you have any um, do you have any plans immediately for what you plan to do in the new year? Just continue to adapt to ridership patterns or anything else? Well, I think the big thing is listening to the customers. We're we're always concerned of why the roads are so crowded. Yeah. Why did why did you choose to get in your car today? What is Metro not offering? And it's not for everybody. Sometimes it's distance. Um, we're working on everything we can from price point to schedules to marketing messaging more than we've ever done in the past. So I think really the 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 goal in the year is to increase our service level in the lines that still haven't gotten back even to pre-COVID levels to make schedule adjustments, to meet the rider's needs, and to clearly get into the message, into the heads of the people that are using the automobile as an option versus, you know, trying to commuter train. And then in the city, more interestingly enough, uh, kind of really marketing that other piece, that regional connect piece, where all of a sudden for one fair product, uh, you're, you're getting much more uh, robust service. So I think those are really the two bigger goals to drive ridership. That's excellent. Well, we wish you the very best of success as you do that, as you help uh, really, you know, I feel like public transportation, commuter rail, the buses really has helped uh, bring society out of this lockdown because we are providing mobility and you guys are doing an amazing job there in the Chicago region, Jim, with you at the helm. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today to tell us about it. Thank you, Bob. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Transit Unplugged, the podcast. How would you like to see behind-the-scenes footage of the agencies that Paul visits? Then be sure to check out the new Transit Unplugged TV on YouTube, where transit evangelist Paul Comfort dives into the culture, the food, and the transit of major cities around the world. You'll see the operations control centers, how maintenance shops work, and the latest innovations taking place at agencies around the globe as we work together to improve the lives of our transit riders and our communities. Be sure to subscribe to Transit Unplugged TV on YouTube or at transitunplugged.com. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Transit Unplugged in-depth with our special guest, Jim Derwinski of Metro Rail in Chicago. Now, next week on Transit Unplugged News and Views, we have Matthew Douse, partner and chair of the Transportation Practice Group at Wendell's Marks. If you have a question, comment, or want to be a guest on the show, feel free to email us anytime at info at transitunplugged.com. And don't forget to sign up for the newsletter at transitunplugged.com so you're always in the loop with whatever is going on with the show. So until next week, ride safe and ride happy.